A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 183 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me, like a princess searching for her lost people, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey! Oh, wait, not that I'm not supposed to be an actual princess or anything like that. Uh, hi, everybody, welcome to the show. I, I can tell you haven't gone to Disneyland that often, because they actually talk like this. <laughs> Very breathy princesses, I suppose. But uh, but yeah, that there's a whole commentary we could do on the lessons girls learn from Disney princesses, like Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Remember, the one thing that can make you whole is to find a man. <laughs> but yeah, that's a whole other that's a whole other show, whole other topic. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we look at Star Wars Princess Leia, a Star Wars comic miniseries written by Mark Wade and penciled by Terry Dodson. This series addresses how Leia deals with the destruction of Alderaan, her homeworld, as she tries to find survivors of the attack that are scattered across the galaxy. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. It's funny, when you were saying we're going to be talking about this this time, I almost wanted to butt in and say, do we have to? I think that... and. Forgive me, this spoiler-free rundown will be a little bit longer than normal, I think. I feel as though it's probably pretty clear to the listeners of the show after the last few episodes that this is my least favorite of the Marvel series thus far. We've got Star Wars, Darth Vader, Kane and the Last Padawan. Now we even have the first issue by the time we're recording this of Lando, and here's Princess Leia basically at the bottom of the heap. And it's for a lot of reasons. I think these are things that we should probably discuss before we get into the spoiler topic because I know we're going to have some listeners who are listening and maybe they haven't read it and they're only going to listen to the non-spoiler part and avoid the spoiler part until they read it, if they read it. And I think those people should know what they're getting themselves into before they choose to read this series. Um, I also think that it's something that if we have these ideas out of the way, they can inform some of the impressions that we have throughout the spoiler part of it. All right, so to preface this, 
I haven't read a lot of stuff by Mark Wade. The stuff I've read of his in the past, I've really enjoyed. I was a big fan, for instance, of Irredeemable and Incorruptible, these great series that sort of take a twist on what happens when a superhero becomes the supervillain and vice versa uh, in the accompanying series. He's really done some great work in the past. There are reasons why this guy is one of the well-respected members of the comic writing community at this point. He has a lot of great works out there. This is not one of them. This is basically a train wreck of a series. I think the, the touchstone term for this that really makes it stand out to me, that captures my feelings of it, is the phrase tone-deaf Star Wars. That's what we have here, something that is tone-deaf Star Wars. Artwork, to start with. Terry Dodson's artwork is very cartoony, for lack of a better term, but not in the good way of, say, Kane and the Last Padawan, in a way that is well subpar. And I mean par literally as an average. We've got the great art of Star Wars and Darth Vader, and the very good but not quite their art of Kane and the Last Padawan, and now we've got this, which is way below par. But it's tone deaf. If it's not a character or vehicle that we saw in the films, if it's not Luke's clothing from the award ceremony, or Han's clothing in general, or an X-Wing, or a Star Destroyer, there is nothing in this series that looks or gives you the feel of Star Wars. It doesn't capture the essence of Star Wars, the tone of it, the way that, say, the films do. Um, and in that sense, the story is the same way. It hits certain beats. The notes are there for Star Wars. The instruments are there for Star Wars. And yet somehow in trying to perform it, it comes off as a tone-deaf train wreck. It's not generic sci-fi. It is Star Wars-oriented. It just isn't a particularly good Star Wars story. Usually whenever we're reviewing an, an, a series that I'm not particularly fond of, I will say, well, it's not necessarily a bad story. It's just not a good story. I can't say it this time. This is not a good story. It is a bad story. It's a poorly executed tale. Leia is the focus of this. This is a big deal because it's supposed to be her first miniseries ever. And you would think that this is where they really are going to have to get Leia right and set the tone for her character arc to come. And if this is the series that does that, God help Leia Organa. Because he completely misses the Leia character in how this story is presented. And yes, rant incoming. One of the biggest issues that the Legends continuity has in the time between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back is that the characterizations of Leia and Luke, not so much Han, but Leia and Luke, are all over the freaking place. Because you've got stories that are written out of chronological order by different companies, different writers, different licensees at different times throughout a 30-plus year stretch. So sometimes Leia acts one way, sometimes it's another. Sometimes she's guilty over Alderaan, sometimes she's sad, sometimes she's made her peace with it. Sometimes she is pushing all men away because of her duties, sometimes she's cuddling up to some random guy that's been inserted into that story, and so on and so on. Her characterization is all over the place, but it's the nature of the fact that there was such a hodgepodge way of creating those three years of incredibly crammed together stories where the characters don't have time to go to the bathroom. Same thing with Luke. It's almost as though Mark Wade said that in trying to find a touchstone for how he wants to present Leia, he was going to encapsulate those three years from 30-plus years of stories of a completely inconsistent, wishy-washy Leia and boil it down to a five-issue miniseries where she's also inconsistent, wishy-washy, and completely unenjoyable as a character. It's like he didn't watch the movies. It's like they said to him, well, you see, she's a princess who now is without a kingdom, but she is royalty, and by the way, she's 19 years old. 
And that's all he went with for the character. She acts like a 19-year-old, a typical 19-year-old, a perhaps teeny bobber 19-year-old. There are points at which she is very depressive and down about herself and doesn't like herself very much. There are other times where she's haughty and bossing everyone around in a pleasant way, if you can call it that, in a way that befits her station. There are other times where she's bossing people around, just sort of trying to be the bitch in the situation and just push other people around. There are times at which she appears to be a leader. There are other times at which it doesn't seem like she could lead herself out of a paper bag. She's got characters that she will mouth off to in one scene and then turn around and be buddy-buddy with later. Hey, I helped you and I respect you. Now I'm snarky with you. And there's another couple of characters that are just as wishy-washy. Her and Evan. Initially, you got a situation where they're basically frenemies, for lack of a better term. They don't like each other, and Evan hates Leia. And Leia's like, oh, you've just done something. You've just screwed this up for us. It's on purpose. You know, kind of like an I hate you, Evan thing. But then things miraculously go right because Evan did something without Leia knowing. And it's like, yay, huggies. And Leia's hugging her in the cockpit, even though this is someone who hates her. Then you've got lines like, and I you not. Mark will have to bleep that, but I kid you not, does not carry the annoyance of this. I you not. <laughs> there is a line in here, for instance, and I don't think this is particularly spoilerish. Never mind. There's no time for recriminations. All Duranians are about to die. It would be nice if they did so, knowing their princess gives a damn. I must say something. Perhaps I could think of what? If things would stop going wrong for two seconds. Who is this? Would you ever have imagined Leia sitting down saying, I don't like this. I, I can't do it. Just stop, just stop going wrong for two seconds. Who the f*** are you, lady? <laughs> this isn't Leia. And it's like this throughout. Leia is all over the place, has no through line. She acts like, I guess, the petulant teen. The problem is, that's not supposed to be the way the character is if you look at, oh, I don't know, the freaking movies. Leia is a character who has always been portrayed, at least in the films, as older than her years, more mature than her years. Keep in mind, she's 19 in A New Hope. She's 22 in The Empire Strikes Back. She's 23 in Return of the Jedi. By comparison, Padme is 14 in The Phantom Menace, 24 older than Leia throughout the entire classic trilogy in Attack of the Clones, and then 27 in Revenge of the Sith when she's barefoot, pregnant, and crying all the time with nothing really to do in Episode 3 because they cut all her great scenes out. But both of those characters were more mature than their time. I deal with high schoolers constantly. That's what Leia's acting like, a high schooler. I'm fortunate that my wife, we started dating. If you do the math, we got together when she was 19 years old. She'd been out of high school for a while because she had graduated early, blah, blah, blah. But she was more mature than her years because of a lot of stuff she had gone through as a child. And there are a lot of people who go through that type of thing and come out more mature than their years. And that's sort of what Leia was. If you had not been told Leia was 19 in the film... In A New Hope, you would never have imagined she was 19 years old by the way that she acted. She carried herself with the dignity and respect and maturity of an adult. Not this Leia. This Leia is at best 19 years old. You could probably scroll her back and say that the Leia in here is a tween or right in the middle of those, those frustrating teenage years where she just doesn't know what to do and she's lashing out sometimes because of her own insecurities, blah, blah, blah. That's not Leia. What this series has served to do is present a tone-deaf version of Star Wars with a tone-deaf Leia with tone-deaf art. And unfortunately, it's canon now. There's nothing we can do about it. 
The premise is solid. Let's have Leia go out and look for Alderanian survivors, even though the, the last issue kind of makes it very contrived. And it starts off well. The first issue ties into the end of A New Hope very well and gives me hope for this series with the first issue. As soon as you get past that first issue, it is an absolute freaking train wreck. Avoid this series if at all humanly possible. If you like the character of Leia, don't read this series. It will make you cry. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't disagree with you on the aspect of Leia because Leia is chaotic in this. I would say it's an odd one. I, I think of the two of us here, I'm probably more forgiving of a lot of what's going on here. But, you know, stay to the critical side of things, man. Nail it where it needs to be nailed because there are a lot of issues in this one. I, I do think that this one is the most suffered of all the Marvel series that have come out so far. And what's really weird for me is it seems to be the case that the two evens, number two and number four, have the worst art of all of it. It seems like one, three, and five all have finished art, whereas two and four seem like, you know, they, they got to the point where the penciler was supposed to come in or or somebody was supposed to finish off the details on the characters and they just, ah, forget it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of those at a distance. You can't even tell that they're really people. They're just like little blurbs on the ground. But I noticed that it was contained to issues two and four. Uh, you know, the, the odd ones seem to have that finished art style. Uh, when I look at issue number one, the art isn't terrible. I like it. It looks good. It's a lot better than a lot of other arts. In fact, I like it better than the art in Lando. And so, like, you know, this one, it was it was the last one of the Marvel stuff that was coming out. It was the one I was kind of like, yeah, I don't really know if I care about it right now. It being set right at the events of A New Hope ending. Like, I... You know, that's the first of three films already. And I feel like, you know, in the film saga, I've, I already know pretty much what's going on with those characters from there. And so in a lot of ways, this feels like a throwaway story in that regard, because by the time it's all done, you've gone from, you know, one situation where you see her giving the, the awards literally right at the end of A New Hope to, you know, by the time it's all over, she's running around arm in arm with Luke and Han and, and you would have never known this mission ever took place. So it, it could be in a sense a throwaway story. It being a miniseries in that regard, I think it was probably a smart idea because it definitely felt like they had no idea what they were doing with Leia. You know, I forgive chaotic Leia in the sense that she just lost her homeworld. She just lost her parents. She just lost her life. She's still reeling from all of it and has had no time to mourn. And I mainly think about that because in the new canon, we get heir to the Jedi, which in a lot of senses was precisely a story about Luke coming to grips with the mourning of everything that he had lost in a new hope. And while Luke had something like that, Leia really didn't. And so I, I kind of forgive all the chaoticness of her character in this story as this is that moment. But that's where I, I'm like you, where if that were to continue, if they were to continue to write Leia like this for the next, you know, stretch period of From A New Hope all the way up to Return of the Jedi even, that's not this. That's not the character. You know, when I watch Leia in A New Hope, into the shoot, fly boy, you know, I mean, she's confident, you know, and, and there are times where she's that, but there are also times where you're like, what in the hell is going on here? Uh, you know, there's a spot where, you know, you'd mentioned that the, the love hate relationship between Evan and Leia, and there's some really interesting dialogue here and, and it's kind of spoilerish, but it's enough that I, I, I think it's spoiler free enough to give you an idea of the tension between these two ladies and Leia's turns to her and she goes, Evan, he said, is that correct? I saw you earlier at the ceremony. You stayed behind. Why? To to pay my respects. Proper respects. What was that? I didn't quite hear you. Nothing, my lady. Clearly, it was something if you're angry enough to mutter at me. I give you permission to explain why. Well, 
Why do you keep your silence? Because it's all we have now, you frost-blooded... And she covers her mouth. Go on, says Leia. I'm a confirmed royalist princess and proud of it. I was one of the lucky Alderanians that were mentored directly by your mother. She taught me much about the heritage of Alderaan, and what she never taught me, what she rather earned, was my lifelong respect for the throne. And so... Evan's an interesting character because she is devoted to Alderaan, but she sees Leia as the petulant, spoiled brat. And so for her character, the way she's looking at Leia eventually evolves throughout the series. And I like that seems to be the core of the story that I'm really enjoying, I guess you could say, because Leia's reactions to Evan and the way she is, it seems like not even trying to understand Evan seems odd at times and it conflicts with everything I know. And I think that that's the biggest issue I have with this is it's a different Leia than I've ever seen before. I do like Evan. I think Evan's story is the arc that actually makes sense here. She is a relatively consistent character in that her changes are along an arc of storytelling. She goes from one thing to another by the end, as opposed to it being back and forth and back and forth and all the wishy-washiness of Leia. I think that if this stays contained to this story, then maybe we can sort of forgive Leia to an extent because of what you were saying about the grief and whatnot. But at the same time, Luke handled that grief relatively well in Heir to the Jedi, and he didn't have anybody. And yet here's Leia, who's supposed to be so much more mature, so much more regal, a leader, and she's handling it. If this is how she's handling it, she's handling it by almost having a nervous breakdown. And she's falling apart with her mind going in all these different directions, her personality changing and so forth. I, I don't see that as a positive approach to that kind of grief and whatnot for the character, particularly in a series that she's she's headlining. Do it and get it over with and never go back to that mentality for her. I almost would argue that until Ahsoka, and I wonder if this is more felony than anything, until Ahsoka, I don't think Lucas knew how to show women maturing at all. He's able to show character development of Anakin from being nine years old going on ten and then see him go through the prequel era entirely before he becomes Vader. And now the canon is doing a good job of giving us a Vader arc from there up into the classic trilogy. He was able to do a real arc for Luke where we saw him grow well in the original trilogy, but none of the female characters really tend to grow in the original trilogy film or in the prequel films for that matter. Padme is kind of just sort of Padme, and what she does evolves, but her, in terms of her strength of a character, her ideals, those don't really change until they rip the guts out of her for Revenge of the Sith with all the scenes that were cut. And in terms of Leia in the original trilogy, her relationship and her feelings towards Han and Luke and whatnot change, but nothing really about the character truly develops. She's essentially a fully formed adult character when we meet her, and she doesn't have to go through that growth. She doesn't have much of a character arc outside of is she hooking up with Han or not? I'm wondering if this is sort of a reflection of that, that somehow a lot of times the people that write Star Wars don't know how to write female characters going through actual growth, going through actual changes. It's more of just trying to show a character at a particular place rather than on an arc themselves, which begs the question to me, we're both males, obviously. I wonder how a female reader, and if, for those of you out there in the audience, feel free to send some feedback for the next feedback episode about this. I wonder what women would think of this series and if it's seen as something, the fact that Leia's got her own series here and gets to go through all this emotional range, albeit chaotic, is somehow seen as a good thing for women in Star Wars and 
to be applauded by fandom or if women would look at this the same way I'm looking at this and say the way that they presented Leia here in such a bizarre sort of tone-deaf way and chaotic way is an insult, as if Mark Wade doesn't know how to write women, and here we've got a female character being portrayed in a way that honestly feels more stereotypical than appropriate. If I were a woman reading this, I think I'd be insulted. Not by the, the way Evan is handled, that's handled pretty well. But by mm -hmm. the way Leia is handled, absolutely I'd feel insulted. Well, and you mentioned something, too, about the fact that in the trilogies, the female characters really had no story arcs, which actually made me think of something. Lucas made a habit of de-queening, you know, de-royalty these characters. You know, Amidala started out as a queen, but eventually she becomes a senator and just, a, a, you know, a, a nobody in a sense of the grand scheme of things. She went from being royalty to being just the common file and fold. And Leia goes from being Princess Leia. And even by this, like, there's a, there's a moment where one of the guys, like, you know, what do I call you now? The Senate's been dissolved. You're no longer a senator. Do I call you princess? And she's like, even further back, he's like, ah, oh, Leia will do. And there's that whole sense of, you know, losing everything. And so I guess, I guess that's the one aspect that I'm really open to forgiving this series with trashing on Leia's character because of that aspect of it being a world, you know, it being more than just what like, like Luke, you know, we, we, we talk about the fact that Luke lost stuff and Leia lost stuff, but on the whole, Leia lost a hell of a lot more than Luke did. I mean, Luke can always go back to his home and, and see the burnt chard marks of where his aunt and uncle were and things like that. Leia's got nothing, you know, she can't even go back and look at tree. Like she can look at pictures if she finds some old ones, those kind of things. So I, I would, I would imagine that the loss there coming in from not just you lost your family, but you've lost absolutely everything you've ever known is gone. You know, everything from your home world is all gone. Like that's got to be major. Like that's, that's something I, I would think that us as readers could never fathom because that's a concept that would never happen to us. I mean, the most you could have would be like being moved from one country to another and then finding out that your original country was wiped off the face of the earth. But that's not a realistic, I mean, that'd be like saying like, well, I, I was over in, uh, you know, wherever uh, the Russian uh, plant that went up, Chernobyl or whatever, uh, and when it went up, you know, now I can't come back. But that's as, that's the closest that we have to that. But even then, people could still go back to that. Uh, so, you know, I would definitely not want to see that kind of use of the character continue. I know Leia's a character right now. We're, we're kind of like, you know, what's going on with her? You know, we see in San Diego Comic-Con, we're seeing pictures of her in a, a military leader type garb with her arms folded. You know, we've matched up that, oh, hey, that is the hand that gets the lightsaber that was Anakin's given to her, things of that nature. What's going on with Leia? And you want to look at a series like this and kind of like, well, do they have insights to what Leia will be? And are they seeding it now? And Honestly, I don't feel like that's the case at all. I feel like this Leia has no plan, and I hope to God that, you know, when they do the next introduction of Leia or, or continue to use Leia, they have a plan for that character that's going to lead her towards The Force Awakens that we can start to get things moving that direction. Because this story totally feels like a toss-away story. Uh, I felt like there was nothing relevant to it. I mean, at one point I thought, well, maybe like, like Leia is going to bring together all the Alderaanians and there's going to be this huge faction that's going to help the rebellion. But that didn't seem to be the direction the plot was taking us. But at one moment I was like, Hey, this, this could really benefit the rebellion in general. And Leia can rally them all together. And then by the time it was all said and done, there's comments like, well, elect a new queen. And I'm like, wait, what the <laughs> we're doing? What? <laughs> so, I admit this story on a whole, I feel like it is the biggest failure so far, but I do think that with issues one, three, and five, the art in those issues, I don't think that art was as bad as what I'm seeing so far in issue one of Lando, but granted Lando's only had one issue out, 
but the fact that they went back and forth on the art didn't help this series at all. Whereas Kanan, they stuck with the art. The art style has been the same in every single issue. It's been delivering for me because I like that character. The Vader and the and the Marvel Star Wars series that are both going on right now, their art is glorious. They're tying in together. They're t- in a sense, they're telling one big story of what's going on in that era from two different points of views. I'm really digging on that. But this late one, aside from it being set right after the ends of A New Hope, it's kind of like the, the Truce of Bakura, you know, like literally like they're still floating out in space above Endor and the story kicks off. Like if it wasn't for that one tie in aspect to the story, there is nothing to tie me to this to care. This might as well been Razor's Edge. And that's rough Ooh, to say. That's harsh. <laughs> yeah. That's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> it's very harsh. And But when I think of terms of how this impacts the canon – this really feels like a throwaway story, and, and that's a shame. I'll give them this. If they've just seeded the Evan character in for us for later, and the idea of where the Alderanian survivors have gone, if those are now seeds that have been planted that could grow later, then this could be really a lot like what we saw with, say, I don't know, uh, take Lords of the Sith, right, that we talked about in a recent episode, that if it was seeding things for later with Sham Syndulla and the Rebellion then it matters. If it didn't, then it matters a lot less. It's kind of like this, right? If Evan's going to come back, you know, wearing her mock version of, I guess, Luke's award ceremony attire. Um, I was going to mention that, too. She's <laughs> uh, like the Lando. <laughs> yeah. or, um, or if it's going to bring back the Alderanians on a new world or something like that, or Alderanian survivors later, that would make this something that matters. I'm not yet willing to say that it's a throwaway story, although I will... Take one point of argument with something you said about how, well, this is Leia reacting to me. How could we deal with her being having her entire world lost and so forth? There's a point at which I think the, the emotional ramifications of her losing an entire world and her desire to preserve Alderanian culture and so forth, I think kind of goes down the toilet. Because there comes a point at which, at which time she says... Don't judge them too harshly, Evan. These frightened little creatures are Alderanian to the core, fretting and hiding because they don't know how to fight. I read that and I was like, what? Now all of a sudden Leia hates her own culture or, or thinks her own culture is weak. So she's trying, she, she's bashing Alderaan while trying to save the Alderanians. Unless this is her going like, well, if they had just been willing to fight, they would have been able to save themselves somehow from the Death Star. It makes no sense if she's supposed to be mourning this culture that's been lost and have all this respect and missing it and whatnot. She's, again, she's all over the place. Yeah, she's conflicted. Tone deaf Star Wars. <laughs> the other angle, though, that I, I think was kind of interesting was, and, and I believe you and me were talking about this just the other day on uh, Cloud City Casino, the racist slash speciest angle that we see played. Was it uh, Jora? I believe was her name. Uh, you know, she has a, a moment to help Leia in her quest. You know, for for bringing the Alderanians together, and her prejudice almost ruins it all. And I don't know. It was interesting because when I stop and I think about it, I'm like, you know, this lady's nitpick. Like, I wonder. Like, she already hated Leia from the get go. But I was, I was. There's a part of me going, boy, if she only found out that Leia was really no Alderanian at all, like what that would do, you know? So, so by the time the story gets to the point where Leia's like elect a new, you know, elect a new princess kind of thing or a new queen, I was kind of like, is that how they're going to get around that one? Because like sooner or later that's going to come out and someone's going to want to know. And, and it gets that question of, you know, 
like the one character said, well, now that the Senate's gone, do we call you senator? The planet's gone. Do we still call you a princess? And that was something that the EU actually addressed at times, too, was, you know, is she still a princess? Are the Alderanians, do they still consider her a princess even though they don't have a world anymore? So that was an angle I was interested in, but they didn't really go too far with it. They just kind of tinkered with it just a little bit to kind of wet my whistle but they didn't go forward with the full plunge. So I don't know if that's something they plan on doing later because, like I said, this this was announced as a miniseries. So this could be it. We could get no other reference to this series, which, again, if, if it's just a throwaway series in that regard and if nothing connects to it, I can't help but feel like it's just a throwaway story. Uh, you know, in a new canon world where we're building a new universe here, it would be nice, even if they are small touches, that each series to a degree touches on the other or at least references events to a degree. So you feel like they are building towards things. I mean, that's the one aspect right now that I'm really wanting the most of. I want that connective tissue. You know, I, I, I don't want the films themselves to be it because these little in between things aren't really connecting. They're just kind of latching onto those films. And, you know, it kind of feels like a flow chart and not really a spreadsheet. <laughs> Bingo. It hits the notes. It's got the right instruments, but the melody doesn't seem to work. It's Tony Deaf Star Wars. Okay, uh, <laughs> I think we're in good shape to move on to the spoiler section. We've analyzed their attacks, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. All right, so we begin Star Wars Princess Leia actually without and a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away or the big Star Wars with the Princess Leia tagline under it the way that we saw the other two Marvel series up to this point start. It actually just starts with an opening crawl. So Princess Leia, part one. It is a time of both hope and mourning within the Rebellion. While on a secret mission to deliver stolen plans for the Death Star to the Rebel Alliance, Princess Leia Organa was captured by the Galactic Empire and forced to witness the battle station's power as it destroyed her home planet of Alderaan. With the help of a farm boy pilot and a fast-talking smuggler, Leia escaped her captors and completed her mission. Using the plans, the Alliance was able to destroy the Empire's ultimate weapon. Having proven themselves a formidable enemy to the Empire, the Rebels are in more danger now than ever, leaving them with little time to celebrate their triumph or lament their losses. And we pick up literally in the middle of the award ceremony that we saw in A New Hope. We see Leia put the medal onto Han, then onto Luke. They turn to the crowd. Everybody's clapping. Chewie does his moment. And then we move on and see a moment that expands upon the scene, which I thought was very well done. The fact that it does expand beyond the scene was awesome. And she gives a little bit of a speech. And I say a little bit because it is a little speech. We have much to be grateful for today. Thanks to your courage, we have delivered a telling blow to the Empire with the destruction of the Death Star. But our own casualties were not small. Let us take a moment to honor the lost souls of Alderaan, to honor Viceroy Bail Organa and Queen Bria Organa. And you have a moment of silence. May they forever be remembered. And that's it. And you will find that the pilots immediately start talking like, you know, that was it. That's all she had to say. What's with the ice princess and so forth? You know, royals, they don't show emotions to the plebes. Now, first off, plebes. So not only is it English as basic in Star Wars, they're making references back to Roman Empire social class names, the plebeians. Oh, really? 
as in patricians and plebeians, patricians being the upper class, plebeians being the commoners, and plebs being sort of, or plebs and plebs being a way to sort of insult somebody to refer to a commoner. Interesting to see that in Star Wars, but then again, this is the series that also introduces the if things would stop going wrong for two seconds, includes the phrase, hold up, and includes, I got this, or we got this. Um, well, that's a cool twist, though, because it, it, that kind of gives some Alderanian culture, I guess. I, I like guess Alderanian I don't know. I don't know. Next, we're going to find that there's there's a there's a droid out there named Fitty Scent or something like that. But it struck me in her speech that she goes straight from we're going to mourn the losses. Uh, our, our losses were not small. Let's mourn the loss of Alderaan and let's point out my adopted mommy and daddy. Mm-hmm. She doesn't mention the pilots once. That's what <laughs> I think I'd be pissed about if I was in the audience going, excuse me, our losses were not small. Weren't you talking about our losses, not your losses? Ma'am? What about Biggs, ma'am? What about Biggs? What about the fact that most of our pilots were completely wiped out, ma'am? The rest of the rogues, I mean, Red Squadron. Yeah, so that struck me as a little bit odd. We do find General Jan Dodonna then saying that they're going to make plans to evacuate Yavin immediately. So that is a change for this new story group canon. Uh, this is not, we're going to wait six months to evacuate Yavin and have the whole blockade thing going on because of the way that the newspaper strips and the original Marvel series were written back in the 70s. No, they're going to evacuate immediately, which makes a heck of a lot more sense. And we get a great joking moment between Leia and Han and Chewie. It's one of the few moments in this series. It, it's like this first issue was written by someone who watched the movies and mm-hmm. the other four were written by someone who completely didn't. We get this back and forth. You heard the general. There's much to be done. Let's go see how much of it involves a hairy beast and his co-pilot. Hey, he's the co-pilot. I know. Perfection! Hilarious! And the art looks great. I, I, I think that that was the one thing they got right with all the number one issues of this first run. They really focused on the art and they really focused on the dialogue. Although, with this one, it doesn't seem to carry on past about the fifth page. We get a moment there where Luke's talking to her, and he's apparently looking at her in a particular way. She's like, you know, why are you looking at me like that? And obviously it's because, you know, he's like, hey, I like her or whatever. But she does finally say, look, I, you know, I want you to know, you know, you let me lean on you when Ben died, and that meant so much to me. It's like, are you about to make me regret it? Like she's expecting him to, like, ask her out or something. It's like the Leia in this series is straight out of the CW. Pretty much. Like, she could have been the headline character on any CW teen drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but Luke Pine says, uh, no, I guess I just wish you could lean on anyone. And that works well. It's funny, though. He also says, you know, you couldn't get rid of me, princess, which is funny and ironic. And I wonder if they meant this to be the case, because what just happened shortly after this in Skywalker Strikes, the first arc of the Star Wars ongoing series? Luke said, I'm not ready to be a Jedi yet. I'm no good to y'all. I'm out of here. <laughs> couldn't get rid of me princess unless i find out i'm not man enough for you and then i'm gone apparently well but i saw that more as he was going to get the train oh, yeah. yeah. completed but yeah i want to point out there's a really cool panel here where leia's saying strangely and luke's like ha anyway you like anyway like you said he's all in black him r2 and 3p are all silhouetted in black but 3PO's eyes, R2's uh, photoreceptors, Luke's medallion, belt buckle, and, and basically everything that's metal on him all have color. It's a really cool, interesting contrast at play there. I really like that. And I think that's the, the thing about the odd issues 
is whoever's doing the art, everything feels finished in this. And I really like the look of things. Like if, if I was to judge this series art only on the odd numbers, I loved it. But when I go to the even ones, when we get to there, when we get to the second one, it, it, uh, it really brings the rest of it down. And it's only two out of five issues, but it's enough to be like, yeah, the art's not that great. So then we see a panel of Evan. We meet uh, our new character, Evan Verlaine, who is a pilot who happens to have been from Alderaan. She's going to be our other major character throughout this miniseries. And she's standing and paying respects in front of this statue of Bail Organa and Bria Organa. And I was knocked out of the story immediately to sit back and say, wait a second. Was there already a statue to the Organas just there at Yavin Base? If there is, why? If not, did they just make one? And again, if they just made one, why the hell isn't there one to all the pilots they just lost? And and when you think about the time frame there, I mean, yeah, if they did just make that. It's that, like a day at best, yeah. or like the evening of the battle or something like that. I have to go back and look at my stuff from the uh, – the, the actual holocron that Leland exported and sent to me when I was working on the chrono- the uh, uh, the atlas. But yeah, where did the statue come from? That is odd, and I didn't even think... Like, it would have made more sense had it been a painting, because you could be like, oh, well, it came off of some digni- dignitary ship or something, but that's a big-ass statue. Yeah. Nobody's flying around with that statue and, in their ship. And did they make yeah, the wreaths no. themselves? Where did the wreaths come from that are laying all around the base of it? Uh, yeah that that was an odd one there um yeah that no explanation on that one that's definitely one of the oddest parts of the story thus far yeah just again kind of an odd moment then we cut to leia she needs to talk to general dadana and in order to find an opportunity to speak to him and be able to find where he is she goes and asks admiral akbar cool to see akbar already active within the rebellion here as opposed to that convoluted well he's in it then he's gone then he's back and all that stuff that the legends continuity did and we get akbar just Yelling like crazy at the different troopers carrying stuff. You know, you soldiers, stop dropping things. Being cursed with human hands is no excuse for clumsiness. You, open your eyes, etc., etc. Admiral Akbar is a dick. <laughs> but I like that in a sense. Like, I've always got that impression, even in Legends, when it came to his attitude towards smugglers, that he had no tolerance for them and was just using them because he needed them as a means to an end. And so... It's kind of nice to see that mentality has kind of come across still. Like, and I believe it's, it's one of the parts where he's talking about, uh, you soldiers, stop dropping things. Being cursed with human hands is no excuse for clumsiness. Like, <laughs> like the fact that he, he's got those big old hands, but apparently they're really good at doing well, dexterity things. <laughs> number one, that's racist. And number two, you're all crap. Instead of it's a trap, apparently. Um, <laughs> I like this idea, though, that that they already started evacuating here, and by the time that this this five issues is over, she gets back and they're still not quite done, so it was an extensive process. We move on, and she winds up getting a chance to meet with General Dodonna, and General Dodonna makes an interesting observation, I found. He says, Senate, uh, Princess, rather, there is no more Senate, is there? On the Alliance, Mon Mothma is especially at sea. She no longer has an official title, only a role. And one, I find it interesting that since the Senate's not around, he won't call her Senator or Mon Mothma shouldn't be called Senator, and yet there's no more Alderaan, and he's still calling her Princess. So that mm. seems a little incongruous. But also, I never really stopped to think about Mon Mothma. Since we don't meet her until Return of the Jedi, at least as far as the original trilogy went, 
and she's only barely seen in, for instance, the prequels and the Clone Wars, the idea that she would be at sea, she would be adrift, really, because there is no Senate anymore, so now she's this charismatic leader of the Rebellion, but in terms of the title that initially gave her prestige, it's gone that she doesn't have that tie-in to a formal structure. I don't think that's ever anything I considered before. It'd be interesting to see how Mon Mothma is reacting to all of this. Mm-hmm. No, you know, the whole princess angle, like, I go back and forth on that because, yeah, the planet's gone, but at the same time, you know, the people still remain. And so, you know, I would think, yeah, she would continue to be the princess of their people, but <laughs> as we eventually get later, like, well... So, so you're saying that Le- that calling Leia princess is like flying the Confederate flag? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang, I walked right into that. <laughs> Did not see that coming. No. <laughs> So that's that's the angle that as we get to later when when they throw in the election of them, I'm kind of like, what, wait, what? Like, is that how they're getting around that? You know, because because as, as even you're saying, you know, well, she no longer has a world anymore. Should she be called a princess or not? And I think the fans, we, we are going to look at that in two different ways. Either, well, yes, she shouldn't be a princess anymore. Or no, her people still survived and therefore she's still the princess to her people. And I think that the story at least provides a way that that title can be dropped and it kind of appeases both groups, I guess. And that gives us comments by Leia, right? Whereas I find myself in the opposite situation. Both you and Captain Antilles are being too differential. I am eager to serve the rebellion, etc. Wait, 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 pause. Both Dodonna and Captain Antilles are being too differential. So either Wedge Antilles is a captain now, or she's speaking of Ramus Antilles, who got his neck broken and is dead at the beginning of A New Hope, in the present tense here, there's yet to be a clarity on which Antilles she's talking about here. It would make well, if she says, you know, you were doing it, or it, Captain Antilles did it, and now you are too. But to use present tense for both Antilles and Dodonna, unless it's Wedge, doesn't make sense, right? Well, I think it has to be Wedge. The question there comes into: Did he get a promotion to captain after the Battle of Yavin, or was he already a captain and we just never heard that title used? Very true. She's asking about what kind of duties she could perform, and I really like the fact that Dodonna just flat out says, you know, as someone who was very close to your parents, let me be frank. The best thing you can do for yourself and for the Alliance right now is simply to grieve. And I think that makes perfect sense from a human standpoint, from a character arc standpoint, to really do what kept being tried in a haphazard way in Legends. Do it concisely all at once here. Give her a chance to grieve and let her get over it, and because this is now all canon and supposedly all being run through the story group to make it all fit together, they really could build an arc for Leia the way that they built an arc for Vader. Uh, I, I, to take your point earlier, maybe the fact that she's all over the place here shows that it's, be, it's a consequence of her not choosing to take the time to grieve, so it's screwing her all up inside and throwing her emotions into turmoil, yeah. um, even though it doesn't make her come off as a strong character anymore. But I do think Dodonna's right here, and it's nice to see it happening as opposed to it just being sort of a Leia just starts jumping off into other adventures and the others around her don't seem to really take note of the fact that she is human and does need to grieve. That I found appropriate. Now, we find that apparently the Empire is starting to round up Alderanians for reprisals. Surviving Alderanians are being rounded up. Um, They don't want to add Leia to the list, so he doesn't intend on letting Leia leave without anything less than a full military escort at this point, and she is not happy about that at all. You know, and that's the the moment where he goes, this is a transmission our agents intercepted and forwarded 40 minutes ago. 
You see that bounty? That is why I cannot afford to have you more than five meters out of my sight for now. You're too valuable an asset to be unguarded. And I like the fact that now her and Han and Luke all have bounties on their heads because of what happened in the New Hope. True, although I don't think Luke has one yet. I think Luke, well, the Luke and Han angle with the, the Vader and the other series happens shortly after this. But yeah, in this era, you get bounties on all of them, which makes sense, makes perfect sense. You might say, well, well, wait a second, why on earth does she only have it now? But again, remember, she was a senator up until A New Hope. Even whenever we see her at the beginning, she's a rebel, but she's also a senator, and it's a shock when Vader reveals that, she, that he recognizes her as part of the Rebel Alliance. She's being treated like a regular member of the Imperial Senate. So it would make sense that she wouldn't necessarily have a bounty on her head yet, because otherwise, how would that fit with her still being able to be an Imperial Senator in good standing? Um, that'll come into play a little bit later, too, the whole issue of how many people would actually have known that Leia was a rebel versus thinking of her as simply a loyal Imperial Senator. Well, I think about what Palpatine did with the Jedi and how he turned to public perception. What if the Senate was dissolved because Palpatine made everyone think that senators like Leia and, and Mon Mothma and Bail Organa, all these different senators that are in the Senate that are working for the rebellion, he just brought it to light. He's like, well, we've got so many rebels in the Senate. The Senate's all bad. We'll just we'll shut it down. And then, bam, perfect reason why all these senators now have prices on their head. In fact, you could get rid of plenty of senators that you're just like, ah, well, you know, he doesn't quite toe the line. Ah, ah rebel. I'm going to tag you, Rebel. You're a Rebel. You're a Rebel. You're cool. You're a Rebel. I'm out. <laughs> so she's walking across the hangar, and she overhears Evan, the pilot, talking to another pilot. You really seem to be taking this loss hard, Evan. Compared to the Ice Princess? Can you believe her? If she can't warn her subject, she could at least shed a tear for Bale, her own father, etc., etc. And I'm sitting there saying, man, so is it that Evan is that pissed off and she's just venting? Is it that we expect that pilots have no discipline and they're just trash-talking here? Not something we necessarily see much with rebel pilots that seem to be a little more disciplined than this. Or are they playing into the, well, Evan's a girl, so we got to have gossip girl type stuff. She's a woman, and, well, gossiping is what women do and some type of stereotype to that. Because it felt to me like this was out of character for a rebel pilot. Not for Evan herself. But in general, I would not have expected this kind of conversation coming between a couple of rebel pilots bashing their own leader. See, I think with that, it comes to the angle of Evan's character. Like, I, I think it was a wise idea to bring Evan in. And by the time the story gets over, I almost question whether or not it was Evan's story being told through this medium. Because it seems like she has more of a character growth overall than even Leia. Like she's conflicted, like she's trying to pay the the right respects to her culture, but she's definitely irritated with Leia. She sees Leia as, as you know, this spoiled little rich kid that had everything handed to her, never had to fight for anything. I mean, there's definitely that angle there. I mean, like, like Leia says at one point, you know, can we be friends? And Evan Flato says no. Like, you know, she's just like, I've got some notions about you and no, we can never be friends. Like I, I, I respect you know, your crown, I respect your title, but you as an individual, not so much. And that's very honest, uh, you know, almost like to the point of like, had Alderaan not disappeared, like, could that get somebody beheaded kind of honest? <laughs> and yet, would we ever, would we ever have expected Leia to be the character saying, hey, can we be friends? Oh, yeah, I don't that. see Leia as a character who would be concerned about that sort of thing. Well, yes and no, like... 
So I see Leia at this point. She's wanting to go on a long trip. And so Dodonna says, you've got to take Evan with you. And Evan's throwing a thorn in your side. And you're like, well, I don't know how long this trip's going to be. This could be me and, and Samwise Gamgee going to ta- wait, take Wait, 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 wait. Dodonna never says you got to take Evan with you. Well, he doesn't say Evan per se. He says Dodonna got- doesn't send anyone with her at all. They just run off on their own. This, this, is, this is like a teen... Girls got to run off to to follow her dreams kind of storyline going on here. There's Dodonna's not approving of this in any fashion. Well, see, okay, so it was when he was talking about the the bounty being on her head. He says, "You're too valuable an asset to be unguarded." And he says, "Already there are rumors that the Empire is seeking out surviving Alderanians for reprisal. Let's not add you to that list. You're not leaving under anything less than a full military escort." Dismiss. I'm mean, so I assume that. He was allowing her to be considered that. But you're right, though, because she did send a message in the middle of the night saying I took off. He's not he's not letting her go. He's saying, I'm not letting your ass out of my sight without a freaking battalion. He's not saying, well, if you can get yourself a battalion, you can go. It's like it's like uh, I was watching a South Park the other day. And what was it? It was something like, uh, Mom, can I go watch this movie that you don't want me to see? And she's like, you can if you broker peace in the Middle East. And all of a sudden he comes back and on the news, it's there's peace in the Middle East. Thanks to young Kyle Brozlowski. And he's like, see, Mom, I broke a piece in the Middle East. Can I go see the movie now? Well, Kyle, I didn't expect you to actually do it. It's kind of like that. It doesn't seem like Dodonna's actually saying if you can get the uh, security, you can go. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I, I misread that. But it, it is odd because when Leia shows up, she dismisses the guy. So she had her mind set on Evan. So, yeah, that is an odd angle because, yeah. Well, she's not, she's not approaching Evan as someone to take with her. She's approaching Evan because Evan was bad-mouthing her and gossiping about her. And she's like, oh, hell no. Yeah. And, and then at what point does Evan volunteer herself? That's what I'm trying to figure out now. It, it's inconsistency. Oh, well, no, it's it's Leia. Get, she saw you've given me the answer I've been looking for. I now know must what, what we must do. We, ma'am? <laughs> so so during that argument, Leia's decided, well, I've got to take you with me, which is, which is again, the out of character for Leia. Like, you know, Luke would have been the prime opportune choice. Like, mm-hmm. and, and clearly, like, at times they thought, well, obviously Evan is Luke. Because, yeah, like you said before, she is wearing what Luke is wearing at the beginning of this costume. Straight down to the Carillion yellow stripe on the pants, the blood stripe and all. It's like, wow, did you just literally go and take Luke's dirty laundry? And hair color. Don't forget hair color. I do like when she dismisses the the soldier, you know, soldier, you're needed elsewhere. Where? I don't care. <laughs> like, damn. Okay. Thanks. Uh, they have their very frank conversation. Um, I do like the fact, and I can appreciate the fact that that Evan sees herself as a loyal Alderanian, that she has respect for what is lost, and that if you don't remember the culture, if you don't continue to act on the culture, the culture itself will be lost. There's been real-life civilizations that go through that type of thing. There's the idea of losing heritage as cultures come together. It's one of the big arguments in the United States as a melting pot, how much of one of a group should assimilate into American culture and how much should be able to keep their own culture that they're coming in with because you don't want the culture itself to be lost. You want the unique heritage to blend in with everything else. It does make sense for her character um, to be so annoyed, so angry. The fact that she's not really willing to engage with like she's she's trying not to have the conversation. She's being frank. She's answering the questions that she's asked because this is her princess and as she says in a bit, her queen asking her the questions. But she doesn't really want to answer. I mean, she, it's, it's like she's trying to avoid Leia in general. She, but she says, let me clarify, man. First among the, the legacies I pledge everything to preserve is the life of your highness. And I was like, Evan, no, I'm sorry, my queen. 
And I find it interesting here. Evan's got a point. Shouldn't Leia, Princess of Alderaan, whose parents or adoptive parents, the Viceroy and the Queen, are dead, should she not be, throughout the entire rest of canon, if they're going to call her a princess or anything of Alderaan, shouldn't she be, by default, called the Queen of Alderaan throughout the rest of the continuity? You are absolutely right. There, Yeah, and unless, unless her mom was like how we call Bush Sr. Mr. President, you know, maybe the queen had already passed her power on like Naboo does. And there was another queen, but then why didn't Leia mention that queen being dead? So yeah, yeah, there is that angle of she should definitely be the queen at this point or, or being called queen flat out. Yeah. Or uh, just not being called princess because there's no planet to be princess or queen of anymore. Just call her that's, that's, former that's, senator that's, or commander organa. Give her a freaking alliance rank. Well, that would make sense too. But I, I, I get back to that. As long as there's a people, I would think the position still counts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I think, well, just because you don't have the planet or any specific town, you don't cease to, well, like, like yeah. you know, the Dalai Lama, he didn't cease being the Dalai Lama when China came in and kicked them all out of Tibet. I mean, he just, he went off to some other country and set up shop over there. So in that regard, I would say she would always be, you know, Princess Leia, but yeah, she should be Queen Leia at this point. There should be a ceremony making it official, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they're basically the Alderanians are the Jews after the country of Israel ceased to exist for so long. They are essentially a diaspora, as we call it, within Earth history. They're a scattered people trying to retain their original cultural identity, even though their homeland is gone, uh, or at least their homeland is not theirs anymore. It's a case of the Jews at the time, or in Alderaan's case, it's actually gone but it's interesting the way that they they've never really addressed the whole queen versus princess thing to any large degree and here it's at least being addressed even though it's sort of glossed over so leia sends or it looks like leia sent r2d2 to go basically wake up to donna from bed says you know donna i appear before you not to apologize for what i'm about to do but to show my respect and beg your understanding so it's the whole it's easier to uh, ask forgiveness than permission I'm attending only to my sacred duty as a last member of House Organa to find, gather, and protect every last surviving son and daughter of Alderaan. And she lays out how she just, there's no alternative to this, to collapse in grief as everyone seems to wish, to keep my head down and hide, to rule over nothing. I reject that. The last royal of Alderaan must be too strong to cower, too certain to despair. And more than that, General, she must be too stubborn to quit. If her subjects and her culture are to survive, if you'll not allow me to aid the rebellion, I can do this. And... It turns out that Leia and Evan and R2-D2 have already left in a decidedly non-Star Wars-looking ship, one of those tone-deaf art styles I was talking about, where, hey, it didn't exist previously in uh, the film, so let's just make something that doesn't quite look particularly Star Wars-y. And Dodonna reaches out to touch R2-D2, and it turns out that the R2-D2 is a hologram. So, somehow, Leia has... It's so bizarre... Somehow Leia has created a hologram of R2 that projects another hologram of Leia. There seems to be no obvious emitter for the R2 hologram. And the one point at which it looks like it might be, it's not the case because the art makes it clear that it's actually the beam of light's not going to the R2-D2 hologram. It's going from the R2 to the table where Leia was being projected. So somehow it's like a hologram within a hologram without an obvious emitter that is so realistic and not apparently all blue in R2's case that Dodonna believes it when it's in his room 
with no explanation of how it could have gotten there. It's a bizarre scene. Why not just leave him a freaking voicemail or something? Well, yeah, or just have it show up. Like, the, yeah, the having R2 being another hologram was odd. Like, maybe if you had it where it looked like he was, like, pulled up on, like, some flat platform where the hologram came up from originally. But I don't see why they had to do that with R2. But that, that gets me to another thing, though, is R2 being on this mission in general. Like, even in later issues, the dynamic between Leia and R2, I have to stop and I'm like, okay, I remember where Legends went with R2 after A New Hope. You know, R2 became Luke's and Leia had 3PO. But it seems at this moment that R2 is still Leia's property. And I I don't know necessarily how I feel about that. Like, I'm not too conflicted. Like, Luke could always get him at any point. But it is odd that they've gone that route. And I kind of wonder, you know, is that something they have planned for The Force Awakens? Are we going to find out that, you know, Luke and his little buddy were never really much more than what we saw in the films? That, you know, R2 and him weren't inseparable companions you know because <laughs> well, yeah. that was how i've always seen him yeah, i mean at best essentially when luke had them they were stolen property i mean they, they had escaped and trying to get back to the rebellion got snatched up by jawas sold like sold off the back a stereo hot off the back of a truck to the larses and then luke took them back to their rightful owner the rebellion so in theory yeah these sh- these are leia's droids they belong to bail that's true. That's true. And and I mean, that's the angle that, that I see a significant change coming. I mean, like I said, in Legends, Luke got R2, and like I said, Leia always kept a hold of 3PO and didn't seem to use R2 that much. It always seemed like when she was using R2, she was borrowing from Luke. At least that was always the impression I had. So I, I'm curious as to if this is going to be a complete shift from what I've known before. I'm okay with that. It was just odd to think you know that we might be watching luke reach up and put his hand on artoon's dome and find out that you know he artoon's been with leia the whole time that luke and artoon really don't have a relationship beyond their past as their youth you know like that it's odd for me to you know swallow because i'm so used to the other way you know like it's always been luke and artoon and coran horn and whistler and wedge and gate you know so like, someday luke will be saying i don't seem to remember ever owning a droid <laughs> like what the heck? So, okay, so they take the ship, they take off, and Evan knows this is a bad idea because she recognizes that it would put valuable ships and pilots in harm's way to try to recover Leia. If Dodonna has to send out people to try to recover her, then it's putting others in danger, and that is irresponsible for Leia. I think that is an important point and something that Leia hadn't considered. But it turns out that it's Wedge and Luke in X-Wing sent out to stop them, and... They they basically put themselves ahead of their ship, ahead of Leia's ship, to slow them down uh, so that they can't jump to hyperspace and they can be herded back. I uh, said, chasing us from ahead? What are they doing? It's a herding maneuver. I heard Skywalker and Antilles brainstorming, dragging their heels ahead of us. We can't jump to hyperspace without plowing through them. Then do it, Leia says. What? Again, this <laughs> is not Leia. If you have the shot, take it! Kind of, Leia. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's taking out an enemy. This is Leia saying, go to hyperspace and kill Luke and Wedge because I don't want to find some other solution because they're trying to stop me, which well, I knew it, somebody was going to be sent to do. It could be kill an enemy or remove an obstacle. <laughs> oh, God. You'll never get rid of me, Leia, unless you plow through me and freaking kill me. But, but that's what's odd, too, is because... Then Evan does it, 
and one of the X-Wings knocks off that component, and then Leia starts complaining at her. Well, no, 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 because it gets, it gets even screwier before that, though, right? She says, then do it. You're not serious. No, I don't know. Can't you evade them? No, I don't know. That's not Leia. <laughs> so many, ugh. So, so, yeah, so she tries it, they evade, and as you said, they knock the little part off that's apparently... Evan aims for the X-Wing so that it hits at just the right spot to let this specific piece fall off. Because it, we find out it was staged ahead of time. And Evan and basically starts this fake conversation, which Leia doesn't realize is fake, about how damaged they are and such. Can you fix the hyperdrive? Very easily, back at port. How could you do this? No excuse, ma'am. I was careless. You were not. You wanted to lose a component and fail. You sabotaged the mission because you disagreed with it. Of all the dishonorable... They're falling back. So what? So this. And they jump to hyperspace. And Leia finally is like, Evan, when she realizes what's happening, gets it explained to her. Evan, you're magnificent. Can we cut away all the nonsense and be friends? No, ma'am. And this is where Leia does her huggies. Yeah. Leia's so excited that they, that they launch that she... She basically comes up and hugs Evan in the pilot's chair from behind around her, like, uh, like shoulder blade type area and has this look on her face like, yes, we're besties now. You're my BF. I'm just like, that's not Leia. Well, and, and the dialogue, too, the words that are, are bolded, you know, Evan, you're magnificent. Can we get all the nonsense out of the way and be friends? <laughs> like, uh Maybe we saw being friends. <laughs> like, what the hell? I mean, I get that she wants Evan on her side, but I don't think that Leia would talk like this. Leia doesn't talk like a typical teenager. She never has in the films. Can we please be pals? What do you say? Again, this is a scene straight out of a CW teen drama. Isn't it? Well, and I think that part of the issue here when it comes to these characters at this time frame is when I watch A New Hope, I don't see an 18 and a 19 year old. I see people that are like 25 and 30. Like I, Han looks 30 to me. Luke and Leia look about 25. And I think that's my issue when it comes to the saga as a whole is the ages don't ever feel like they line up. You know, you watch A New Hope and Obi-Wan's supposed to be around 20, 25. Obi-Wan looks 19. Like the ages just are so vastly off from the original trilogy to the prequel trilogy. You know, Anakin looks nine, but he looks like he's barely six and Padme is supposed to be 14, but she looks 19. Like the ages that they're supposed to be in this, in this does not actually look like what you're looking at when you're looking at these actors. I mean, granted, like when you think about like Rachel McAdams or, you know, the way that she's like in her thirties and stuff and was playing teenage characters, it looked legit, you know, but when I think about those characters, I, I, I cannot think of them as this, as young as they're supposed to be in A New Hope. I, and I think that that's part of it that throws it all off. So when she started acting like a teenager and stuff, I don't think of that. I think of her with a blaster, blasting stormtroopers, blasting out an event, going, get in the garbage chute, flyboy. I see, take control Leia. You know, I don't see this teen that's out of her element, that's not confident. That's not who I think of when I think of Leia. And I think... When she dips into those other elements, that throws me off significantly. And it's funny because you can make the argument, well, well, they didn't set their age at that. There was a time at which they said that Luke and Leia were 20 in A New Hope. But then later they said 18, and then eventually with Revenge of the Sith, they made it 19. 
yes, that is all well and good, but, and this I think goes perfectly to the point of what I was saying about how Leia always seemed to be more mature than her age. She was an adult in most respects as a character, and this is presenting her more like a teenager. Carrie Fisher was born in 1956. She would have been turning 21 when A New Hope came out, which means she was around this age when they were filming it. And yet, she doesn't come off like she's only late teens, very early into the 20s. She doesn't look like or act like a 19-year-old or something in the film. And she certainly doesn't come off as that later, but that's, of course, because even though there's three issues separating A New Hope and Empire and three years in real life between A New Hope and Empire, there's only one year continuity-wise between Empire and Jedi, whereas three years passed again in real life. So the jump between Empire and Jedi isn't connecting to real-world actual time. It's just, it doesn't really fit the way we would expect the character to be. This is not the Leia that we know, and it's not the Leia we see anywhere else. And I'm hoping that it is confined to this, which I guess... Hmm. Brings us to issue number two. Finally. I guess we're only going to cover two issues in this first episode. Yeah, but that works since it's only five, I guess. It is true. <laughs> it is true. So they're heading for actually Naboo, which I thought was kind of cool because you don't get to see Naboo in a lot of the early EU stuff because, of course, for Legends, uh, it didn't yeah. exist at the time. It, it hadn't been invented until going into 1999, of course. Cool to see Leia going there and that there would be Alderanians hiding out there, which is interesting. She says it's a group that's not very well known, but it's interesting to see that they're going there given the fact that it is the Emperor's homeworld, as we also know, thanks to the prequels and whatnot. So we get some odd moments here. It's like Leia trying to sit down and eat with Evan, but Evan won't sit down because it's just not done. And then a flashback basically to Leia being taught, hey, eat your vegetables because those farmers and whatnot, you got to be able to lead them someday. And how can you look them in the eye if you don't respect what they do as if somehow you're not allowed? I forget what it was. Was it George W. Bush and it was like green beans or something that he didn't like? And there was this whole controversy of farmers getting pissed off at the president because he's speaking out against our farmers. No, he's not. The dude just doesn't like the freaking vegetable. Get a grip. And now we got Bail Organa saying the same type of thing to Leia here in the flashback. And then, of course, years later, we get Leia in another flashback fighting with some kind of trainer lady that we don't know. You know, how'd you get so strong, little ma'am? I eat my ruchia, which is the vegetables. Ha ha, see how they connected it. And we get a, a brief lesson again. You know, by the way, do you remember apparently years ago when we talked about ruchia? So Bail is somehow referencing back to the other flashback as if Leia's supposed to remember, even though we, of course, do because we just saw it. And he lays out that basically... The galaxy knows Alderaan is a planet of beauty, nature, poetry, philosophy, art, couture, cuisine. We freely share all with all, but the temptation to belligerence can never be erased. Our ruler, one day you, must struggle to keep the culture focused on creativity, love, and life. Hippies. Sorry, I had to, had to Cartman there for a moment. Whatever happens, Leia, you must keep Alderaan alive. I'm sorry, Father, for failing you. Okay, Leia, you failed in a literal sense. They're dead. But he was actually talking about culture. But mm -hmm. it, it's another of those instances of seeing Leia sort of, of letting the weight bear down on her. Yeah, it's almost like you start to see her formulate the puzzle. And by the time you get to the final issue, she realizes that the math equals up what she should be doing with her culture and not focusing on how she failed her parents. You know, and that, that was an interesting angle that they had at play here. I think the issue I had with when I first saw this, I thought she was like nine at first when she's in the black costume and then she starts putting on her Senator robes and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, okay. She's closer to 15, 16, maybe even 18 at this point. I'm not really sure. 
but I did think it was funny the whole spinach angle of uh, I eat my Ruica. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, or as I like to call it, you know, spinach is a little Bluto's bane. <laughs> so, uh, so she's Leia the princess, ma'am. She eats all the veggies she can. <laughs> exactly. So, so the flashback angle is like I, I like that. I think it's really cool to give some insight as to what Alderanian culture was like. That angle of all that that's going on, like if they do more with. Alderanian people in the Star Wars saga, then I think that this story will have a lot more merit overall. I'm afraid that, like, like we said at the beginning, this is going to be like a one and done, a throwaway story. Um, you know, the culture seems to be the heart at what's going on here. You know, I, it's it's a story of the culture that was lost and how to preserve it. It's a story of Evan coming to grips with things and a evolution of Evan's character, which we'll get to more in our next issue, our next episode. And then it's a story about Leia coming to grips with her grief and her guilt. So in those regards, it does hit on a lot of things. But again, getting back to it's the oddness of how Leia is going about things and the wishy-washiness. And I think maybe it goes back to that first comment that General Dodonna gave her of, you need to just sit this out and grieve, you know? And, And I think that that could be why, like I said at the beginning, why I'm forgiving her and all that, because this just could be everything that's out of character with her could just be the grief, you know? I'm willing to accept that as the answer for now. <laughs> and I hope that they have an idea for the Alderanians, especially with, as we get to later, the mixed species angle of the Alderanians. You know, if that plays into something down the road, or if we see, like, say, you know, something, you know, like that culture being mentioned in Rebels before all this happens, you know, that where we see they're founding that culture on that planet or something, or, or, you know, the cultural divide starting to happen at that point. Like if there's a reference to it, even somewhere, I feel like the story will gain some traction overall. But right now I feel like this is one that could slip right off your radar and you wouldn't be missing anything from it. You know, they've got to have that connective tissue to make you feel like you're missing something to make it feel relevant. Because right now, this does not feel like a relevant story. And see, I'm waiting to see if it becomes relevant. I just I just think it's bad. So we jump to Naboo, to Club Deja in the city of Karen, where we meet another Alderanian, Ua Parisi, or Paris, how you're supposed to say it. Or I guess since it's on Naboo, maybe it's Parisa or Parise, but there's no little thing over the E. But uh, Paris is basically the manager of a group of musicians called the Melodic Order. And the issue here is that they are Alderanian musicians, and because they're so entertaining and she doesn't want them to be down and sort of fall apart and have the entire act fall apart and the business dealings and everything go down the toilet, she hasn't told them about Alderaan being destroyed. She's keeping it from them as a business decision, and she hates herself for it, but she's not willing to change it. She says she's betraying everything she's known, but it's something she feels as though at this point she has to do. That, I thought, was kind of an interesting angle. I mean, I remember thinking about, you know, if you think about something like a 9-11, the instances in which there were people who would wait, and if somebody hadn't heard the news, find a more appropriate time to tell them what was going on that day or what had gone on that day. It's sort of human nature, I think, to not want to be the bearer of bad news, but in this case, it's sort of that mixed with the financial side of things, the business side of things, that gave it sort of that darker tint to it. I'm not sure that Parisi is a bad character or a bad person as she's being presented here so much as she has made a bad decision 
and it's, has sort of stuck herself in it. And it's like the longer she waits to tell them, the worse it's going to be. So she'll just stick with the lie until she can't stick with the lie anymore. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. I mean, that same impression came across to me at first. I was like, is she a bad guy? And as it plays out, you find out, oh, oh no, she was just forced into the situation. I said at the beginning of the episode how the art in the second one kind of dwindles down. Now, this one at this point, like it's still staying pretty decent on the close-ups and stuff. It's the away from shots. It seems like anytime the person is, you know, four or five body lengths away from the point of view you're looking at it, the details kind of disappear. Like, you know, there's that even if it kills us both, as Leia's saying to Evan, and she's like, of course, ma'am, you can still see like the little shadows on the cheeks and things like that. But when it's at that farther distance, all that detail is gone. It's like there's just outlines to the characters and outlines to their clothes and things like that. And it seems to be that it only really happens in the even ones. This one, of course, isn't as bad. I think four is probably the worst of them all. But that opening fight where Leia's doing the fighting in the flashback and stuff, all the far away scenes have zero detail to them. It's not until you get to the close ups and stuff that it's like, oh, OK, it's back to how it looks in the first issue. So I kind of wonder what was going on with the process at this point, if they had a second artist coming in or stuff or if they were just like, oh, well, that's good enough because I don't know. I'm, that's where I get conflicted with the art. And that's where I feel like the art really starts to drop down into a subpar area. Like the art in the first issue, I really dig it. And I'm digging parts of the art in this one, but it's those parts where I feel like it was incomplete. It feels like there was a whole step in the process. that just wasn't there. Like everything feels like I'm, I'm missing my glasses. I don't wear glasses, but I feel like in this case I'm missing glasses because everything seems a little blurry. There's not crispness to the detail, but yet when you get to the up close ones, bam, it's back again. It's like my glasses keep sliding off and on my nose. <laughs> oh, I'll make you cry. Take a look at the panel right after the one you just described of, even if it kills us both. Look at any of the people down by the ship. They're freaking stick figures with capes. Yeah, that exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. And and it goes back and forth like that in this issue. I, I'm pretty sure the fourth one, it just goes to hell. <laughs> so they finally arrive. They're showing up as Imperial creditors to basically keep people from paying too much attention to them because nobody wants to be around uh, not creditors, auditors, imperial auditors and whatnot. So they're going to try to bring this Alderanian cloister that was little known but long standing on Naboo into their circle as a first group that they're rescuing. And, and ironically, Leia winds up going under the alias of First Minister Solo. Ha ha ha, Leia Solo. See, it's a nod to Legends, kind of. <laughs> and we get a great moment, again, some a banter moment that makes you go, awesome, but at the same time you're like, that's not Leia. Ma'am, wouldn't it have been safer to pay cash? We don't have any. What? Thrilling, isn't it? At large in the universe, living by our wits. And I'm like, that's not Leia. If anything, that's Han. Yeah. That's yeah. totally Han. Or that's Lando, one of the two. That was an odd moment for sure. But hilarious. I, but hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I like the fact that they talked. I mean, and I, I think it was Evan where she was talking about the fact that it was Palpatine's homeworld. Yeah. Is there anything you wish to share, pilot? Just that, ma'am, there's already a bounty on your head, and Naboo is the Emperor's homeworld, hardly inconspicuous. And, you know, that, that's just an angle I like. And then when Leia sees the, the stained glass, and she sees her mom in it, and it, for a moment, you see her mom's head kind of, like, turn away from the, the stained glass, kind of come out of the stained glass, if you will. I thought that was a really cool moment. I love the fact that these little play-ons of, of things that we, the viewers of the films, know of, that Leia doesn't. I thought that was a really cool moment in and of itself. Those are the little things that really bring 
this series back up from the subpar level for me. And I think that for most of the people out there that are fans of late, I think those are the things that they're going to really get a kick out of. Yeah, I did love that. They're walking into Naboo and they see the queen basically as she was dressed near the point at which she was about to escape, um, but not like where she was like looking down at everything and speaking with the Trade Federation about how they've gone too far this time. And yeah, it, it's weird. It's like she turns and I think that's awesome. I think it's a great moment. You almost get a sense that Leia's got sort of an instinct through the force of her connection to Padme. Yeah. Very cool. And I'm wondering, you know, well, is this where she's like remembering her because she has memories of her mother being very sad when she was young, although it makes no sense because she died seconds later. Whatever. <laughs> but it makes for a, a great moment. And then, of course, we have the moment at which they should both have died. Right. When Lord Jun, one of Leia's former associates, goes, Leia, Leia Organa. Yeah. Boom, boom, you're dead. If there's <laughs> any Imperials around, and there should be because it's Naboo, it's the Emperor's homeworld, you're dead. But whatever. And it turns out that this is someone that she had uh, had at least some some kind of connection to back through her father and through her family and whatnot. It's like, like, okay, well, I'm just dying to hear all your secrets. Why don't you come eat with us? And they have a quick dinner where he's you know, trying to give them aid, supposedly. Uh, the club owner is someone that he knows who's trying to set them up at the meeting so that she can get there and talk to Paris and get the Alderanian musicians out and all that stuff. But, of course, he's completely full of crap. You know, huh, says Evan. Suspicious of him? Can you tell, ma'am? Please, you barely learned to trust me. And he's acting all suave. He's almost kind of like the Naboo version of Lando. And we're going to find, of course, that very predictably... Of course, this guy's going to wind up betraying them. I mean, that's sort of just a given. Yeah. The odd thing for me, though, is like this is the moment where Evan starts wearing the Luke clothes. And I'm like, OK, the ship they took is not a ship we've seen before. Where did this batch of clothes come from? <laughs> when they were about to leave, Delay, go, oh, wait, wait, we need to get you a change of clothes. And she just reaches into Luke's dirty, fresher clothes or something like I, that's just the oddest well, damn part. See, we're going to Naboo, and apparently, based on Padme, women on Naboo don't wear the same clothes for more than 20 minutes. <laughs> so we jump to Parisi. She's being warned, basically, that trouble's on the way, not realizing that they're talking about Leia, basically. And in comes one of a pair of sisters, Tace. And Tace is concerned about her sister. Because a sister can tell when something's wrong, and she hasn't been able to speak to her sister in a while. And... This is one of those lines of communication that the band is trying to open, but Parisi is keeping it from happening by saying, you know, we'll go back to your music. You'll, you can contact her when things are done kind of stuff. And that winds up playing a bigger role as we go along. It's kind of like the first issue is to tie it into the films and give us a story that's kind of enjoyable. And then the next four issues, it's mainly the taste thread that builds the through line and the search for the Alderanians that build a through line throughout the rest of that story. But it struck me as interesting because she'll say this type of thing a couple of times, and it makes me wonder if Tace and her sister Tula, who we're going to meet, if it's possible that they are Force-sensitive and just were never found to be so. Did you get that impression? No, I didn't, but that actually kind of makes a lot more sense, though. Yeah, the whole lock it down and stuff, like, hey, okay. I, I could dig on that angle if they play with it. I mean, that's the thing, like, if they pick up some of these threads and go with it down the road, this series could actually have a lot more going for it, but... It's all up in the air at this point. So then Leia and Evan and R2 show up at the club and they're met 
by thugs instead of being met by Parisi or anybody representing the band. And, oh no, it looks like they're being led into a trap. You know, ma'am, I have a bad feel. I know, me too. And the Besselist that meets him at the door says, In there, princess. And you get, what did you call me? And then there's this big scuffle where Leia and Evan are taking out these guards and kicking, well, with R2-D2's help, and kicking their butts until uh, Parisi steps out and saves a day from the, the club owner who's the last to try to stop Leia. And it was one of those, I never told you I was a princess. I never identified myself to you. And it's funny because on the one hand, it leaves you going back going, oh, did he say princess? Oh, yes, he did. Aha kind of moment. But it's also such a cliche thing to do, isn't it? I mean, I was just watching, I'm rewatching the reimagined Battlestar Galactica series, and there's a moment at which, in the episode The Farm, Starbuck is being held prisoner in a place where they're trying to get her to, to be part of this breeding program, and she finally stabs this guy who turns out to be a Cylon in the neck, and lies, I never told you my call sign was Starbuck. And, I mean, you get that as sort of a storytelling trope and cliche out there, but fortunately you don't see it much in Star Wars, so I think it still worked here, but I couldn't help but sit back and go, oh, it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah. The other side of it that, that threw me off was like when Leia grabs on to the Besselisk and headbutts him, I'm like, dude, that guy's head should bust your own skull. And then I'm like, I'm finding ways like, okay, well clearly she drew on the force to protect herself, because I'm like, why would you do that? That guy's head... Looks like a battering ram. <laughs> As we've learned from this series, Leia is exceptionally hard-headed. <laughs> so true. So true. Not saying the Leia in the movies. I'm saying this Leia because, again, that's not Leia. So they meet Parisi. You know, Your Highness, I don't deserve to live. Of course you do. You just saved me. Who are you? Nobody, ma'am. A nobody who's been doing a terrible thing. And she explains what's been going on. And Leofine says, you know, blame has no purpose. All Duranians have got to stick together. The important thing is we've lost our loved ones in our precious planet of beauty. The other important thing is your creativity is keeping Alderaan alive. For that, I thank you. And I vow to take care of you. Travel the stars with me, and together we will reclaim every last orphan of Alderaan. And I like this fact that Leia, she's seeing a big picture. For as immature and as wishy-washy as the character appears within this series, this is one of the moments that feels like what Leia from the films would do, which is, hey, there's a bigger picture to this. Let's not worry about recriminations about this little thing. We've got to deal with the bigger thing. Come with me. All can be forgiven. If you want to make up for it, make up for it by helping others, not wallowing in grief and wanting to be punished or something. That feels like a Leia of the films type thing to do. That's Leia briefly. Yeah, that's clearly the Leia that we were expecting. You know, that's the classic in the garbage chute flyboy, you know, the take charge Leia, which is at such conflict with her later where she's like, I'm supposed to say something to these people. It's like, you've always known what to say in the right situation. Like what the hell? <laughs> and she realizes that Lord Jun has sold them out. Big shocker there. And she sneaks into his home, holds him at gunpoint, and basically finds out from him, you know, why? Well, it was, it was for money and whatnot. And she basically uses the fact that she could just kill him over this to blackmail him into giving her a hyperspace-capable ship that'll seat 20 or more in luxury as she goes and tries to gather even more children of Alderaan. They must need more ships, or she's going to keep trying to get big ships, because all the orphans of Alderaan aren't going to fit on just that ship. But I find it interesting that the ship that they get is named the Lord Jun. It's named after him. Number one, 
this guy is really arrogant, it seems like. And yet, number two, they always say that having a big ship or a big car or a big boat is trying to compensate for something. He even named his after himself. So I'm thinking that there's a word left off of it, that that shouldn't be called the Lord Jun. It should be called the Lord Jun's piece of the anatomy that starts with a P. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And the other thing, too, is like when Leia's referring to it later, she keeps calling it the ship Lord Jun. Like... Okay, clearly this is for the reader. <laughs> the other thing, though, that, that struck me, and it was in that dialogue you were talking about on the last page, was uh, where she was talking about going off and taking them with her. You had said it pretty much word for word. But the thing that I found interesting was what it implies. Like, you know, at one point you're like, Leia could not be coming back. Like, this could be a mission where she just disappears forever. And, you know, granted, we that watch the films, we know that's not the case, but... As you're going through it, you're like, wait, that could actually be the case. Like, she may never come back. She may be looking at these guys and just go off and, you know, basically create the new place for them. Well, you're wondering, how are they going to end it without just a pat, cliche, quick little wrap-em-up ending? Oh, they're not. That's exactly how they're going to end it. Yeah, because she goes, you know, and, and, and you read it before, but she goes, and I vow to take care of you. Travel the stars with me, and together we will reclaim every last orphan of Alderaan. It's like, how far was she planning to take that? I mean, you know, like I said, by the time this whole miniseries is over, they still haven't completed evacuating Yavin 4 at this point. I mean, so clearly there weren't that many Alderaanians that weren't on the planet at the time, or did she just give up? I mean, that seemed like a mission that could have just took up the rest of her life, (laughs) you know? So then we get a last page here, and this is where it's kind of pushing into what's going to become a big part of the storyline of the last three issues, where they're in space flying away, and Tace, the one sister, contacts, finally, the other sister using the communications equipment on the ship itself. Remember, she couldn't back on Naboo, and now that she knows the truth, now she's able to talk to Tula. And, you know, I have to mourn with you as soon as I can get off this ship, etc., etc., and she's feeding information to her sister... Only it turns out, as we see in the last panel, bum, 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 her sister is apparently an Imperial officer or is working with the Empire and is wearing an Imperial uniform with stormtroopers next to her, perhaps to keep her in line as we wind up seeing like there's some question as to whether she's an officer or was an officer who, because of her Alderanian roots, was then under suspicion or what. But how stupid does Tace have to be here? It's not... Something where by the dialogue, she should be able to tell that her sister is trying to get information and is working with the Empire. Her sister is wearing an Imperial uniform. And you can see very clearly by the shot of her face that's on the screen that Tace is talking to, that you can see at least like her collarbone and her neck. So... Is this just a fashion thing where people just walk around wearing tops that look like the tops of Imperial uniforms? Or is taste just unbelievably stupid? Oh, no, it's a fashion thing. I mean, think about it. Clearly, we have Lando wearing Han's clothes. We have Evan wearing Luke's clothes. Um, So this girl's just wearing an Imperial Moffs outfit. I mean, clearly the designers of fabric in the galaxy far, far away were not thinking very innovatively. (laughs) Yeah, at least later she's wearing a nondescript black outfit that could be taken for anything but here at least taste stupid you're so stupid 
Well, the two pictures where you see it from Tace's point of view and you see your sister in the screen, like it's high enough that the emblem on the shirt isn't shown. So like I can give her that. And I will say from the artist standpoint, when they show her sister sitting in the room and she's got her Imperial uniform and her hands are in front of the keyboard and stuff because of that stormtrooper being so close, you don't even see his head. It's just his shoulders and then his, his waist and the guns kind of pointing at her. Like I wasn't paying much attention to that. The first time I read through it, I was just like, Oh my God, she's an Imperial. And then later it was like, Oh wait, is she an Imperial because she's choosing to be, or is she doing this because she has to? And I like the way that they did this panel because at this moment, like it could go either way based on how you're really looking at it and breaking it down. I don't know, I'm just, I'm expecting that there must be the communication system in the galaxy far, far away must be so advanced that it has really good noise reduction of noises outside of the person who's speaking. Unless right before her sister called, as the call was coming in, she turned to all the Imperials and said, Hey, you guys, stop sounding like an Imperial base or an Imperial ship. Shush, 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 it's my sister. Don't let her know. Again, taste stupid. And how's that for a note to end this episode on? Suffer the little hosts, for they have three more issues to go. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. And you can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars or EU slash Legends questions, or you want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. The people who really like this series are going to be sending us a lot of angry emails for our next feedback episode. <laughs> Man, if only things would go right for like the next two seconds. What are the odds that we just didn't like it because we missed something integral? that was right there that just slipped past our attention. You know we're going to be told that we didn't like it because we're men, right? I can see that <laughs> coming already. <laughs> I already suffer from white guilt. I'm not touching that with a ten-foot pole. <laughs> nope. I said I wasn't going to do the politics thing. I'm not touching white guilt. 
My Confederate flag joke was the worst I'm going to do. <laughs> nope. I think we may need to make an editorial decision here. How many episodes or how many issues do we want to cover in this episode? I'm thinking this may be a two-parter again. I'm thinking so. We're at 40 minutes already. <laughs> Good God, man. Wow. The five-issue series published by Marvel Comics from... I don't need to add all that. This series is going to address how Leia Dale's... Good God! Tongue-tied this morning. Um, I had not... Oh, I'm going to start... I'm going to start hearing... My, I have two choices. I can either turn the fan off and burn, or I can turn it on and it causes my smoke alarm to constantly beep. What? Yeah, for some reason when I turn the fan on, the, the smoke alarm goes beep every few minutes. So, Weird yeah, I think it's because it's so close to the fan that it's blowing and, and up the sensor. So let me say it again. Sorry. Those don't really change until they rip the guts out of it for rivet. It's more of a... Damn it! Yeah. Blame has no purpose. Alderanians have got to stick together. The important thing is, we've lost our... You realize our I just read that, right? Oh, did you? Yeah, I just read, I just read that, that... All the balloons in that bottom box. Okay, well then I won't. Yeah, <laughs> I... I uh, the, the computer wouldn't go. I went one page too far. By the time I came back, <laughs> I was like, God, God. Um, let me let me say that differently then. End of the fly shoot. End of the. So I've uh, pre-canned all the other stuff. Though I'm gonna have to. Say, I did all that pre-canning, and then I'm gonna have you edit it. But I've got all the. <laughs> Right. And I was, I was, it's funny that you just did it because I was about to say that shouldn't we make it say your podcast of legends and canon too or something like that because it sounds like we're only talking about legends by the way that the opening goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs>